Hello and welcome to Cannon and Cockrell. My name is Michael and I'm a Spurs fan. And I'm Jason and I'm an Arsenal fan. And we probably should be talking about the North London derby. Yeah. Uh, our last episode, we ended with a, a preview of that match. Uh, but it didn't end up happening because, as we all know, Arsenal bottled, bottled it. Um, it. It probably seems like old news now, but I feel like we should probably start off by talking about the North London derby that never was before moving on to our, our Carabao Cup semi-final defeats and our our league form. Um, Jason, g- give me the the argument in defence as to why the postponement was justified and all the controversy, controversy and in fact rule changes that have happened uh, on this very day. The Premier League now changing the rules regarding postponements. Was yeah, it I, overblown or do you think Arsenal were being a little bit cheeky? Arsenal being cheeky. Uh, my defence is everyone else is doing it and I, <laughs> that's not a good um, defence. But I, I still am more frustrated at the fact there was uproar just about Arsenal rather than the system. It just always seems that when Arsenal do it, let's all get up in arms. When Eduardo potentially dived against Celtic in 2009, it was like Eduardo had, had invented the dive. <laughs> and there was just uproar. He was slaughtered. The poor boy who had just broken his leg was slaughtered. He, he, was, he was, you know, and... It does feel like with Arsenal, it's like when we strip our captaincy. It's like that is, you know, that, that is the first time any captaincy has been stripped. It's a, you should be ashamed of yourself, Arteta. And in this similar fashion, it's not like we just said, you know, what, we don't fancy playing Spurs. We didn't have the players, clearly. But uh, clearly we didn't have the players because otherwise it wouldn't have been approved. So if if if... You know, they, they're they the objective neutral ones. If they say it's a no-go, it's a no-go. You can only ask the question, but it, but it's still, yeah, that, that's, it's like, it's like going on a hike, a charity hike and asking people for money. And, you know, you're, you're, you know, you can only ask the question. You can't force them to part ways. If they part ways, you get your money. It's the same thing. You can only ask the question. <laughs> I haven't heard the uh, the charity hike analogy before. It's an interesting one. But that's, if, that's my point. Listen, if it was and and everyone saying, oh, it was one COVID case. Well, that's all we know. Arteta's been very guarded about COVID cases since the start. You know, they've been very careful, being very confidential about things. And everyone, including Leicester, who by the way then went and sent their players to Ali Pali and then got done for and that wasn't um, taken that seriously you know there were players from AFCON which I understand you know you know what you're signing up for when you sign a player from the African nations and that's fine it's absolutely fine you know we had and and let's be honest El Nene and Pepe weren't going to play anyway Um, Thomas Partey leaves a lot to be desired as well to be honest so and Aubameyang but then you combine that with the injuries and the illnesses and the potential illnesses. And yes, a lot of clubs and fans were shouting about, why did you loan players? But why should we stop our business? Because in that moment in time, we had enough squad players, even after those being gone, but then things happened. I don't understand because you might not get those deals again. Why should you stop? I don't understand. Even if a bad, if a company is uh, performing badly, 
you know, in that moment in time, they look at the bigger picture and they might still want to acquire another company. It doesn't mean just because, you know, all right, we might not have the resources today. It doesn't mean we, 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 won't, we won't do it tomorrow. I'm really, I'm really not smashing the analogies today, but I think I'm getting my point across that it's a witch hunt against Arsenal as usual. Uh, and I think it was a non-story. And I'm actually think Spurs fans should be delighted because we would have destroyed you at White Hart Lane. Well, I mean, I kind of agree with you on that last point. I think it's a game that you would have won if it had gone ahead. And I, I mean, obviously, you know the Arsenal squad better than I do, but I do feel like you could, I think there's a difference between not being able to put a team out at all versus not being able to put out a full strength team. And you're right that Arsenal aren't necessarily the only ones to have maybe exploited the rules in this regard. But I do feel like, you, I mean, look at the, the, the obvious counterpoint is you look at some a, a team like Leeds, who on the very same day went to West Ham and had like a 15-year-old on the bench and have played the youngsters. And OK, you don't have to do that. I'm, I'm sure, you know, they could have got the match postponed if they'd wanted to. As you said, Arsenal were just doing what they were to an, an extent allowed to do. But I think the reason why the, the reaction to, to Arsenal was stronger than other cases was because, and as you said, this is just from what we know, but there was only one confirmed COVID case from what we knew. And most of the absences purely seemed to be uh, self-inflicted ones, suspensions, AFCON, loans, things that you knew about, things that were and, really and nobody else's fault but your own. We actually but, tore our own hamstrings as well. Well, yeah, I know, but injuries, though, that, that's part of uh, part of football. I mean, we, we've never postponed games for injuries before. And if we weren't in a pandemic, the game wouldn't have been called off. And I think if Xhaka hadn't been sent off against Liverpool, the game probably wouldn't have been called off. True. You know, that was probably the margins we were dealing with here. And I think with the loans, I get your point about, you know, why should the business necessarily be affected? But I think it does, it doesn't sit right with people when, a game is called off because you don't have enough players. And then the very next day, literally the next day, you're loaning players out. It's either, well, you either don't have enough players to play a game or or you do. And I think Arsenal didn't fancy the North London derby because, because of the, the situation they're in with availability. And they probably thought, you know what, actually, under the rules, we could probably get this postponed. It gives us a week off for that Liverpool game. You know, we, we celebrated uh, the first leg draw like it was a win. Um, and now let's go to try and win it in the second leg and actually this match we could do without at this moment in time. So let's, you know, exploit the rules to get it called off. And you probably felt that, you know, probably because of what happened to you in the first leg with Liverpool, that maybe you were justified or, or due kind of a postponement. But I don't think it was Arsenal being, I mean, obviously I would say this because I'm not an Arsenal fan, but I generally don't think it was Arsenal being treated any differently. I think it was just people responding to a, pl- a pretty blatant uh, kind of exploitation of the rules as they were. Like you said, you can, to choose to blame the Premier League more than Arsenal but it's like you know Arsenal still had to decide to the, the the door had been left open for them but they still decided to walk through it and I think given on the very same day you saw an example of Leeds of a club who don't have the same resources or you know as Arsenal do and yet they got on with it and actually won and I mean I never want to hear about Hale End again and what a great academy Arsenal have because you could have put out some youngsters you could have trusted in your your academy and I never want to hear Arsenal fans talk about Spurs bottling it because whatever the probably reasonable actual circumstances were, uh, I know that if the shoe was on the other foot, Spurs would be getting just as much stick and it would all be Spurs have bottled but, it, Spurs have run away didn't. from the challenge. But so, they didn't. It, you know, the, why are Arsenal the catalyst for it? And, you know, you say, the, uh, oh, let's all look at Leeds as the example. They'll, they, they'll be, the fans will be the first to be irritated that Bielsa did that when they go down this year. And Spurs did. They had a 17... 17- 
daybreak. Because, hold on a sec, because, yes, you had a lot of COVID cases. Yes, you had a lot of COVID cases. But by the same token, why didn't you play your 10-year-olds? Because the, the 10-year-olds the had it too. That's, that's a legend. We don't know that. Well, look, the training ground was shut down. And actually, we, the training ground was shut down. We had, uh, I think it was nine senior players, five members of staff. It was actually a COVID outbreak. If Arsenal had had a genuine COVID outbreak, nobody would have batted an eyelid. But I think it was... Sure you have like hundreds of players on your roster. You have hundreds of players on the roster. You could have recalled all your, all your, your minions the training, out. The training ground was shut down. Arsenal's training ground wasn't shut down. You could have picked up 11 men off the street <laughs> in the stand to play. You either play because you've got enough players, whoever they are, or, or you know, where, where's the line? And this is the, pro- this is the problem, by the way. There was no line. And now they've drawn a line. Fair enough. Yeah, but, th- I mean, this is a classic case, though, of, of a, an instance. And I'm going to now do the, not necessarily witch hunt against Tottenham, but something that always happens to Tottenham, where Tottenham end up being... Um, suffering from something, and then they change the rules afterwards. And I can guarantee that whenever the match is rearranged to, Spurs will probably have an availability crisis. But because we don't have four COVID cases, which is now the line, we won't be able to move the match. And then it, who knows what effect that could have on the top four race then. It, it was just like how they changed the handball rule after the Champions League final, how they changed the <laughs> thing about finishing fourth when Chelsea won the Champions League and denied Champions football. They changed the rule the next season. They always change the rule it's so after it negatively affected Spurs. Or like the handball last season, Eric Dyer, Newcastle, and then they changed the handball thing. They always change it. I reckon uh, if Spurs go and win the FA Cup, they'll give the trophy to City. Probably. They always change it after Spurs. And, and you know, that's the thing, though, is that it's now created with this derby. Because, OK, it might be moved to a, to a place which is actually more convenient for Spurs because, let's not forget, we had a lot of players missing. And actually, to be honest, it was probably quite beneficial for Spurs for many reasons that the match didn't go ahead then. But imagine now if whenever it does get moved to, we actually have loads of injuries and then we're saying, well, hang on, we, you know, under the previous regime, we could have got it called off. But because it happened, you know, the fact that Arsenal, and I think actually it tells you something, that the rules have changed as a result of what Arsenal did, which tells you it was a, something that, it was a kind of watershed moment for people where everyone, and it's interesting that Arsenal even, I heard it was unanimous amongst all clubs to change the rules. So even Arsenal think that you should have to have four COVID cases to get a game called off, which is interesting because clearly that wasn't their belief a few weeks ago. Um, I think it does say something that this did lead to a change in the rules. I think that suggests that it was, it did highlight the ways in which the rules perhaps had uh, be, had gone too far in, in, in including all these other absences that are just part of football. I think that was the, the difference. What tipped Arsenal over the edge wasn't the, the one COVID case. It was Xhaka getting sent off, which if we're postponing games because of Xhaka getting red cards, then I don't think we're ever going to finish a season. Postponing every week. I mean, I think that um, an apology is owed to Arsenal. Honestly. <laughs> Because I think it was a witch hunt. I still, you know, I don't. I think it's. I think it's actually a testament to us being a big club still that oh, people okay. held us to an account. Because they didn't do it when Leicester were, were doing it when their half their team went to Afcon and were injured. They didn't do it then. So obviously Arsenal, they see as a gold standard, and therefore <laughs> if they're not performing standard, we hold them to account. That's that's great. In, in my opinion, it's all good then. Well, this, this is what I find funny as well was the the, the differences in how Arsenal fans reacted because initially. It almost seemed like you guys were celebrating the postponement, which I found rather strange. Then you went from playing, as as you've done, the kind of we're being victimised card. And then also the kind of, well, this shows what a big club we are. 
I think for most outsiders, it just showed the opposite of how far Arsenal had fallen, that they were getting North London derbies called off and, and almost celebrating that fact. Um, but I think, uh, I think as you can tell from how we're both speaking, this, the postponement has probably caused a lot more controversy <laughs> And uh, animosity between the fan bases than the actual match would have done if it got ahead. The game's still going ahead, guys. Did that happen? I don't think we've ever argued this passionately about it. It's funny how it's um, caused such uh, arguments, given that, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, the match will happen. Uh, And there's obviously a a lot more important things going on in the world. Um, But maybe we should move on to uh, the Carabao Cup, because obviously... We have to. We have to address our, set, our respective semi-final defeats. Um, I thought that getting the North London derby, it's, it's actually miraculous, by the way, how, how all the recoveries Arsenal made just a few days after the North London derby to play that second leg. Um, but I thought it would have given you an advantage going into that second leg at home, not having had the North London derby, the momentum from kind of surviving the first leg down to 10 men, no Salah, no Mane. Do you look at that as a huge missed opportunity for Arsenal? Objectively, yes. Although it was very clear they weren't fit still. Tommy Asu's now out for a month because he literally played injured. Although, oddly, Arteta said, I had to play him because I had no one else at right back. Even though he had, you know, he had Rob, I'm sure he had Rob Holding or Chambers on the bench. And yet on, against Burnley, he put Ben White at right back and Holding at centre back. So how can you say you don't have a right back? when your right-back was playing in that game from the previous game. It doesn't make any sense. But anyhow, putting all the pettiness aside, I think that, yeah, it was a massive missed opportunity. You know, after that first leg, after battling, and really, you know, we were lucky because they should have scored a few. And But we defended our socks off and we were in with a chance. When you've got a home advantage and that, that rest, whatever you want to call it, how can you not give Liverpool a game? We had nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. We were toothless. It was back to the same old Arsenal. And the only saving grace that we didn't get battered, but I don't think that's a very, you know, the not getting battered trophy. That's that's from the Spurs playbook. And yeah, I agree. You know, this was the time to beat Liverpool. We have we have a fear against Liverpool and City. We, we almost have this inferiority complex because we want to be like them both. But we know we're not quite, well, we're nowhere near there. So we just shy away and we let them play their game um so yeah it was it was it was it was very disappointing I thought our name was on the cup this year I really fancied it I was up it was up for it um especially after seeing Spurs go out which uh which probably is on a level par with Arsenal um winning games um yeah I was I was pretty gutted to be honest um you know the silver lining was okay at least we've got the, the league to go for and then we go and do what we did against Burnley on Sunday um which is another story we'll, we'll save that for a moment um, because we have we have to celebrate your your trophy win um, um, as a result of your Dutch superstar. Um, but yeah, kind of spinning it back to you. I mean, we're disappointed, but you know we've won a trophy in the last two years. For Spurs, seemed like you know they turned up. For Spurs fans with all their flags and their light shows, and after ten minutes, they're like, all right, let's go get a pint and uh, and uh, drown our sorrows. Yeah, so. I suppose, uh, yeah, because there's been so many games against Chelsea this month, trying to think of, uh, distinguish the the battering we got in the first leg versus the second leg versus in the league. Thinking of the second leg in the Carabao Cup, I thought the the lineup, the selection from Conte was 
um, pretty insulting, actually. Um, I'd said before I didn't like how he approached the first leg, but his comments before his team selection there, I thought his team selection again for the second leg, Galini in goal just said it all. I mean, that's a signal of how seriously you're taking this game. If you're not playing your your captain, your your top goalkeeper, and it again, it set the tone for the performance. It felt like you'd waved the white flag, you'd thrown the towel in, whatever expression you want to use. And you use the term in inferiority complex to talk about Arsenal in relation to Liverpool and City. And I felt we demonstrated one against uh, Chelsea, both across the two legs and then again in the, the league match at, at the weekend, where again, his selection was bizarre. I mean, the, the three worst team selections that Conte's done have all come against Chelsea, uh, which considering that he used to work for Chelsea makes you almost wonder about um, his intentions. But it, it just, I, I what bothered me was... We were slightly better in the second leg in that we did actually put the ball in the net, albeit it was offside. But the fact that over, if you include all the games we played against Chelsea this season, which is what, four matches now, 360 minutes of football, hadn't scored, a, didn't score a single goal. Mm. It, it's, it, it, it's not good enough. You know, you've got, a, a, and I think what annoyed me was the fact that a lot of people afterwards were kind of um, saying, oh, well, what choice did he have but to put out that sort of team? And, it, you know, he, he, the quality of the squad isn't good enough. And look at the gap between us and Chelsea. And, and all of that might be true. He, he might have been going into the game with one arm tied behind his back in terms of some of the absences and the gap between us and Chelsea. But he then willingly tied his other arm behind his back with some of the team selections he made. And OK, some of those might have been enforced, I think, particularly the most recent league game with some injuries. But in the Carabao Cup games, they they weren't really. He, he chose those teams. And you could say it was him being political to try and make a point to the board during the, during the transfer window, but you, you're really going to pick a semi-final against a rival as the matches to to try and prove that point. And some of the things he said as well bothered me where he, I think after the first leg, he said about the semi-final being a good level for Spurs. And I was kind of like, well, hang on a minute. We, we did get to the final of this competition last season with broadly the same squad. Uh, Harry Redknapp in his first season at the club, when he picked up the t- a team that were bottom of the table, two points to make games, he got to the final of this competition. The season before, one day Ramos won the competition, beating Chelsea in the final. A Chelsea team who got to uh, the Champions League final in that same season. Pochettino in his first season got to the final of this competition. So I don't buy this idea that Conte was so kind of constrained and uh, that he couldn't, we couldn't have put up a better fight than we did across the two legs. And I mean, the players have to shoulder some blame as well. But it was just so depressing and demoralising to play three games in three weeks against Chelsea, two of them in a semi-final and one in the league, and just feel like you haven't even laid a glove on them. Particularly when you see, you know, even Rafa Benitez's Everton managed to get a draw against Chelsea. Brighton got two draws against Chelsea recently. They're not, they haven't been playing well. They haven't been in good form. And yet we just completely rolled over. And I felt like even Conte wasn't absolved of blame when it came to those Chelsea games. I think it was his first kind of big mistake that he's made in his time here the way he approached and handled those games because as a fan you want to see your team put up more of a fight when you're playing a, a rival and when you're playing in a cup semi-final and I thought we just didn't show up at all and I think his selections and his comments were almost part of the reason why I feel like he set the wrong tone and almost he demonstrated a bit of an inferiority complex and was almost making excuses for the defeats before they'd even happened mm-hmm. um so, yeah, very, very unhappy with what happened in the, the Carabao Cup semi-final. You, you can accept losing, but you, you want to lose. If, having, if you're going to lose, you want to put up a bit of a fight. And I just felt like we didn't. And, uh, yeah, and then going, I suppose, segueing then into the league, obviously the Chelsea game at the weekend. Again, 
just a very um it picked up where we left off in in the cup games and you kind of thought you know surely it was our fourth game against Chelsea this season surely we're not going to lose all of them surely we're not going to not score in all of them we've got to put up something and we didn't and I'm at the point where honestly next season I don't think I'm going to bother watching when we go to Stamford Bridge because we've only won once there in my lifetime we genuinely I think we would be better off forfeiting those matches take the 3-0 loss because we're probably going to lose 3-0 anyway uh save everyone a bit of time and energy and, and effort and this probably won't happen because we'll probably get knocked out to Brighton. But if we get drawn against Chelsea in the FA Cup, I'm not watching. I don't care if it's a semi-final final. I'm absolutely sick of the sight of them. I cannot bring myself to watch another Chelsea game this season. So I really hope we don't draw them in the FA Cup. But at least, uh, speaking of the Cups, at least we are still in the FA Cup. So we do still have a chance of a trophy this season, unlike Arsenal. True. But I mean, the Unai Conte... Magic seems to be rubbing off on all competitions now. I mean, that's, you know, everyone was waxing lyrical about him, about this genius, but we all knew, the footballing minds knew that this guy was stealing a bit of living at Tottenham, you know, (laughs) getting results, last minute winners, sneaking wins, and now not even doing that. And, you know, even that Leicester game, yes, it was special in its own right, you shouldn't have to get to that stage. That's not going to happen every week. That'll only happen once in a while. And for me, I don't know, it's 26th of January. He hasn't moved the needle. It looks like he's lowering the needle in terms of quality. And uh, I'm hearing that he's going to resign. I, well, I, I, I have to... The, the, the Chelsea game is, was his first defeat in, what, nine, ten Premier League matches? If if you consider where we were when we came in to where we are now, two points off fourth with two games in hand, we're in a very enviable position when it comes to the top four race, which considering the utter mess we were in when Nuno was sacked and Conte came in. Um, and you, you talk about the Leicester game. Yes, it was last minute, obviously the, the latest I think a team has ever been behind and then gone on to win in Premier League history. But it was not by any means a smash and grab or undeserved. What would have been undeserved in the smash and grab would have been Leicester winning. If you look at the stats... We absolutely battered Leicester in that game. It was incredible that we were losing it. And coming back to win it in those circumstances was the least we deserved and actually was a sign, I think, of turning a corner in a new mentality, even though we followed it up by a same old, same old performance away against Chelsea. That win against Leicester is not something that would have happened even earlier this season, let alone last season. And I think you can definitely see the improvement in the team and quality performances. Actually, looking at that Leicester game, I mean, the, the midfield of Winks, Skip and Hoiberg, which... I remember at the beginning of the season, we went away at Palace with that midfield, got battered 3-0, created like nothing, had no shots even, I think, let alone a shot on target. And people were saying what a kind of creativity vacuum that midfield was. And yet under Conte and his system, his coaching, that same midfield is able to put up, I think, one of the highest expected goals in Premier League history for an away team, one of the highest expected goals of the season. I think since he's come in, only City have taken more points than us. So one defeat away at Chelsea in terms of just looking at the league form, I don't think is enough for me to say that the wheels have come off. Um, and in terms of the resigning thing, I think this is all just being whipped up by the press to to make a story. I think the bigger window in terms of whether Conte stays or goes is the summer. I mean, we'll see what happens. I think there's still a long way. To, I mean, there's not a long way to go really in the market, but it does seem like there's a long way to go because we know these things always go down to the wire. But I think, uh, I think Conte despite how much I just criticised him over the Chelsea game, which I think was his, or Chelsea games, 
which I think was his one big misstep so far. I think uh, he has had a big impact. And I hope we do do the business that he needs, because I think if we back him, I think we'll see the results like we did, for example, against Leicester. Um, if, if we're speaking of managers and their futures, I mean, there's been talk of a new contract for Arteta um, be, being offered one to ward off interest from Man City, which, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure how uh, concrete that interest is at this moment in time. Um, but interestingly, you sent me a, a, an article that uh, Piers Morgan had written, which I, I don't tend to agree with him or quote him, but you he seemed to, what was it, be suggesting that if Arteta doesn't get top four, he should go. You disagreed with that. But do you not think rather than, you know, this being crunch time for Conte, this is more crunch time for Arteta? Because if you can't get top four now when you've got the advantage of no European football, then when are you going to get it? Well, unlike Spurs, we do look more than the short term. And I saw that Arteta was in Denver with Stan Kroenke watching um, one of the franchise hockey games uh, yesterday, which means, you know, they're talking. They're seriously talking before they go to Dubai. And that might mean new contracts. That might mean new players. It might mean both, hopefully. I'm sure it's all coming up. Um, And I think it's not even a question about whether Arteta's staying or not. It's a given. It's a, it's a, you know, it's it's a, it's a, it'll always be in football the when, not if. But I think that they they seriously think unless we get relegated or our reputation goes very downhill and we're not in the charts of our targets, then the man will stay because he's shown what he can do with the squad of his players over a significant period of time. And he's won a trophy as well, which is, you know, very nice to see that he has it in his locker and he can motivate people as needed in the short term. And yes, there have been moments. He's had a lot to deal with. And I'd argue that all his challenging problems have been a result of the previous 10 years. You know, Aubameyang was a Wenger signing. Shaka was a Wenger signing. Urza was a Wenger signing. You know, they were all treated in and out by um, Emery as well. And I'm, you know, I'm very flippant with these things, but I'm warming to the idea that as long as we're seeing growth and we're within touching distance of our targets, then I don't see why you change it unless an exceptional opportunity comes. And and that might mean that if we do somehow get Champions League football and we do have a bad start to the season and a... Diego Simeone becomes available, then maybe that's the time to think about it. But if you're building a project and, and, and you're committed to it, all the parts have to stay together. And that, again, that, that might mean that eventually, if they decide we want to still stick to this project, but the manager's lost the players, then we'll bring in someone young. We'll bring in a Jesse, I think it's Jesse Marsh or a, um, I would have said Julian, Julian Nagelsmann, but I think that ship has sailed now. Um, with his buying appointment earlier this summer. Uh, summer. Um, so, yeah, I, I understand. But ultimately, and I forget this as well, Arsenal fans were expecting nothing this season. It was finished. We were out of Europe. You know, we thought maybe we can fight. Um, but especially after the first three games, people were doing the relegation jokes, saying, no, 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 seriously, it could happen. And we're within the touching distance again of the top four. And so if you just miss that target based on how 
exceptional everyone else is around you, it's kind of fair game. It is kind of fair game. Is, is everyone exceptional? Is everyone exceptional around you though? I mean, Man United and Spurs haven't been exceptional this season. I think they're exceptional by default of well, United certainly of having spent <laughs> that money. Um, Liverpool, Chelsea, and City are on a on a trajectory of their own. You would argue Spurs with the alleged best striker in the world, that's Premier League, and uh, an ex-Premier League man- wing manager would be there. Um, obviously, West Ham have built something. I-, I understand your point, but considering where people placed Arsenal and where we've been, I think it would be flippant right now to say it needs changing. However, something like what happened in that Burnley game and the Everton game a month or two ago, those things, that that's what worries me. And as long as they're flukes and they happen to everyone, you know, Le Grove um, wrote a great article and he, he, he showed all the games Arsenal Invincibles drew. And our team certainly aren't the Invincibles yet. But they, they drew some bad games, the equivalents of the Burnleys, nil-nils at home. And it's OK, it happens. And obviously you have to, you have to complement that by beating your cities and your Liverpools and your Chelsea's. But I think we're getting better. As long as we are seeing an upward trajectory, I think since Arsene Wenger came in all those years ago, the club's DNA has really been about young, developed, and grow, just go for the 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 club's uh, kind of modern now motto is forward. It's forward, and as long as you're moving forward, that's positive. And you know, you look at other clubs. United certainly aren't moving forward. Liverpool probably looking behind their shoulder now. Spurs are looking diagonal uh, in, in the. I don't know if you've watched um, the Good Place. They call it the Jeremy Deremy, where it's the the time the time space continuum. That there's no timelines. It just the time moves in the in the in the shape of the format of the word Jeremy Beremy. That's what Spurs are right? they're doing. They don't, they don't know where they're coming from. But Arsenal, apart from a few blips, have we had a little graph? I'd say we're on the up. So to conclude, after that long aside, for now, Arteta in. Interesting. I'm surprised given the month that you've had with drawing at home to Burnley, not scoring a goal, being knocked out of the cup to Nottingham Forest, blowing that golden opportunity to get to a cup final. It, it seems like it's been a pretty terrible start to the year, missing out on your major transfer targets. Vavic hasn't happened. But to hear you keeping the faith with Arteta, I'm, I'm intrigued because I feel like I feel like a previous Jason would have been Arteta out now. So I'm, 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 I'm interested that you are you are now Arteta in. It does seem like you have more faith in the project than you did before. I personally can't see it, but clearly you you from the inside can see something that the the rest of us are missing. So it'd be interesting to see whether you're you're proven right on this. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe it's because I've had a really long week <laughs> <laughs> so far. But um, I, I think I think once you once you have that anger and that frustration, and then you you come through the other side, and you realise a bit like a bit like mindfulness. Really, you have these negative thoughts, and you see them as clouds, and then they pass, and the sun comes up again. That's what I kind of feel like. And I'm hoping that when we come back from the international break, Arsenal can line up away to Wolves and we see that sunshine. Well, surely, I mean, now, the, the, this second half of the season, Arsenal really, I think, should have no excuse not to finish top four, given that 
you're not in Europe, you're not in any cups. You know, United have Champions League to distract them. West Ham have got Europa League. We've still got the FA Cup. Um, you, you, you know, Arsenal are just going to have these league matches, can fully focus on it. Like I said, I mean, to kind of put the Arteta question to one side, surely this is a golden opportunity now. You've got the stability that other teams don't have. Arteta has been there almost, what, three years now, two and a half seasons. He's not new to the job like Rangnick or Conte. Surely that must give you some sort of competitive advantage and, and in some way put more pressure on you to, to finish in the top four, or at least finish higher than eighth. I agree. I agree. But at the same time, it's a process and you have to allow for mistakes to happen. And again, if, if the expectations were lower and yes, we're changing them, it's a stretch goal now. It's a stretch expectation. And OK, we'll, we'll try our hardest. But. Yeah, I just think that I think looking at it, I mean, I'm not objective, but if you try and look at it as a sensible football fan, you'd say, well, it never really works unless you're going for big name managers. Chopping and changing managers doesn't work. I mean, it, even with big names, it didn't work for Spurs because it's Spurs. But. If you try something a little bit different, you know, I'd argue that it was slightly different with Klopp. I mean, he was established at Dortmund, but when Liverpool hired him, he still wasn't quite biggest manager in the world. And they gave him time for a project. I'm sure there were times at the beginning they could have sacked him easily when they went through a bad um, patch and form. Um, you know, if United had kept a little more faith with Moyes, who knows where they'd be, actually. Well, they kicked out with Solskjaer, and to me, Arteta and Arsenal just seems like another version of, of Solskjaer, where they're just keeping him there. But Solskjaer didn't have performances. Enough. Solskjaer got results. He never had performances, and he had uh, as much money as he wanted. Arteta, yes, they spent a lot of money in, 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 uh, in the summer, but we've seen the needle move. We have seen it improve. Now, it seems like you've got worse the longer he's been there because he won the trophy. He had that immediate impact. But then his first full season, he finished eighth. And now this season, when you should be really kicking on, when surely the process should be starting to create some sort of product, like you said, you're still seeing the same old, you know, losing to Everton, drawing at Burnley, getting knocked out by Forest. You're still seeing those same old Arsenal kind of slip-ups. So surely this is the season when the process should be starting to pay off given the the trust you've put in Arteta these last two and a half years? Or do you think he needs more time? And if so, how much more time? Well, we'll see um, at the end of the season, because if we finish fourth, then this, then this conversation is futile, because ultimately there's your progress. Trophy, eighth, fourth, very nice. Now, in terms of more time, I'd, I'd say... You know, objectively, no, because football managers don't get time. But why not? We're trying something different. And and I think the way to see it is you, we're seeing him as a very young manager, which he is. And like a young player, you don't, if a young player has a bad season, like a Deli Ali, say, no, he's gone, finished. You bring him back into the fold. You let him learn from his mistakes. It should work like that with a manager as well. He's only human. And he's had some handicaps which weren't his fault. You know, he didn't bring about, you know, that contract, he didn't have a choice about giving a Bamiyama contract. That was, you know, the lot, the only thing we could do in, the, in that scenario. He, it wasn't his fault that Urza was given that contract. 
maybe he could have got rid of Shaka earlier, but you know he, he's dealing with a messed up football club. And now that the feel-good factor is back, and yes, the past few weeks have been horrible. It happens to every club. Look at Chelsea. They've gone from guaranteed winning the title to probably Thomas Tucker will probably lose his job by the end of the season still. Um, I think it's just a different approach. And yes, if you look at any other club, maybe they would sack him. But let's see. It's a roll of the dice. It is a roll of the dice. And I understand it. And I listen, I was the first person to say, Arteta out, get him out, don't know what we're doing. We want our Arsenal back. But actually, I'm I'm starting to change my tune a little because I can see what clubs like Spurs do. It doesn't guarantee you success. And looking at the the, the market, what business do you see Arsenal doing before deadline day? What do you want them to do? What do you think they need to do? They only have to do two things and well, a few things, actually. In terms of outgoings, four. I mean, you've still got a lot of Deadwood to get rid of. If, I, if it was up to me, I'd be still getting rid of Shaka uh, Mene, Leno, Holding Chambers, Cedric, my God, Kolasinac is gone, Aubameyang, Lacazette, Nketiah. Um, plenty to go. However, I don't think it, I think maybe Aubameyang will go on loan, get his wages off the books. I think if it, Arsenal have to look at themselves and say, we've got a chance to top four now. We have. We know we have, mathematically, and the way we've been playing and the way our fixture disc will, will pile up. We have to sign a striker. And if we have to take from the summer budget, then we're going to have to do it so they can hit the ground running next season. And we need to sign a centre midfield because Shaka might come in and out, but he, he, is, he has used all his nine lives. It is unacceptable what he's been doing now. And it's time for him to be really phased out. As I always say to you, I say, why always Shaka? And it is always Shaka. And yet fans have very short memories. It's time to bring in a proper centre mid. And it's time to bring in a proper striker. Um, a proper, proper big name. Um, who that is, I don't know. Vlahovic was never going to happen. I was, I was laughing about it, but let's be honest. When you're, when you're that hot property, you don't go to a club who's not in Europe and hasn't been in, in proper Europe for a while. Um, Isak, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Jonathan David, are they top names? Uh, Luka Jovic, not really. But do they fit the profile of what we, that we want to do? Do they have a goal-scoring record? Do they have the raw attributes? I hope so. For me, because of the Premier League thing, Calvert-Lewin would be my number one. I could see it. I like the look of Isak, the YouTube look, and the kind of profile. Jonathan David, I think it's just because he's from Lille, it really frightens me that he is like Pepe Mark II. I just don't want to do it again. They owe us money still. <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on. Although, great penalty by Pepe um, for the Ivory Coast today, um, albeit that out. So he'll be coming home. Welcome home, Pepe. And then centre mid, I have no idea. I mean, I want Yuri Tillemans or Yves Basuma, whether or not we can get them is a different story but we're more likely to end up with a random midfielder from Europe we don't know. Um, so this is very big. I think we're going to end up with two average in both positions. But if they want to get top four, they've got to go big on both. And then I think we're going to do it. And, and flipping it back to you, are, are you as crystal clear about what you need in your team as I am? Because there's all these links about this Porto winger coming in. 
And as I always like to remind you, really Spurs, another winger? Is it, is it really necessary? I mean, it's, it's like how many kind of players hugging the touchlines who are relatively quick and can finish? Can we stop part of the club? Well, before I talk about him, I, I want to pick up on, on you saying um, European midfielders who we've never heard of, because it looks like the person we're closest to signing is this Sofian Amrabat who, uh, from Fiorentina who, on loan, who I'd not heard of. I watched him actually um, last night. I think he was playing in AFCON for Morocco against Malawi. He looked fine, neat and tidy, good, you know, decent on the ball, but uh, not exactly the kind of big, big name signing that perhaps we thought we'd be getting when, when Conte became manager. Although supposedly he's a player Conte's been a, a fan of for a while. He wanted to sign in for Inter, supposedly. Although I don't know whether that's just being put out in the press to kind of appease the fans by saying, look, this is someone who Conte wants. Um, but yeah, Luis Diaz is kind of the, the hot name at the moment. Funnily enough, they're now saying that that looks more likely than Adama Traore, which is one that seemed like it was a done deal last time we spoke. And now is looking like it's not going to happen. So I have no idea what's going on with Spurs in the transfer market. I think we know what we need, but I'm not entirely sure what we're going to get. And it seems like a lot kind of similar to what you're saying with Arsenal, is outgoings seem more important almost than any incomings, getting rid of players, getting rid of, it seems like, Lacelso and Dombele and Delhi. Um, and I think if you are losing two or three of those, then that maybe explains why you would go for someone like Luis Diaz, because you do need some more creativity, a goal scorer. You know, we do have kind of, I mean, Son and Mora, I think in a way have become more kind of strikers than they are kind of traditional wingers. And I think the the width mainly with Conte seems to come from the wing backs. Um, so I, I mean, ultimately, I think Luis Diaz is probably a better or certainly a more reliable goal scorer than other players we have in the, in those positions. Uh, his goal scoring record for Porto is pretty impressive. He's I remember watching him in Champions League last season against City, and he he was brilliant. That being said, I remember watching Ndombélé play. Uh, against City in the Champions League for Leon and thinking he looked brilliant and being very excited when he signed. So you never know. But I think I, I, I can see, I know a lot of people, a lot of Spurs fans agree with you about Luis Diaz. You know, is this really a position we need to strengthen? But I think just because we have other players who do a similar thing doesn't mean we shouldn't sign a player who can potentially do those things better and also give us more strength and depth. Because I think that the things we're lacking is, is one, strength and depth, having those options off, off the bench. You know, if all of a sudden players like Mora and Bergvine are kind of impact subs rather than having to start every game. Um, and also just goal scorers, because quite frankly, OK, he got that double against Leicester, which was incredible. But I think Bergvine scored more goals in those two minutes than he had basically for two years before that. And Mora as well can kind of blow hot and cold in front of goal. And so I think Luis Diaz would add quality. Whether or not it's going to happen, I doubt it. Um, Traore is actually someone who I'd be quite excited by, who I think would be able to make an immediate impact because he's Premier League proven. And I think too often we don't sign Premier League ready players. And I think Traore could come in and make an instant impact. And I know there's question marks about his end products, but I think you put him in a team with Kane and Son. And I think those players are going to terrify any opposition defence and would, would ask questions. And he would just give us a bit of a different dynamic I think Luis Diaz as well and I think we, we just need a bit of um I remember when we signed Rafa van der Vaart and it wasn't necessarily a player we really needed but he just gave the club a lift and gave a bit of x factor and a bit of a different mentality in the dressing room and I think maybe we need that as much as, as anything else just a player who's going to give us something different give us a lift give us another option 
because Spurs have been kind of predictable. I think you know, okay, there's Kane, there's Son, there's Mora. You kind of re- you know who the threats are. You know how they're going to play. And I think anybody who can spice things up and and give us something different um, is welcomed. But I, who we're going to get, how when it's going to happen, I I don't really know. I think this window it. it it worries me that no business has been done yet because I kind of feel like business should have been done quite early, particularly if we end up signing Triore. Like that could and should have been done a lot earlier. Um, but I, I really, this is probably the most confused I've been with the transfer window at Spurs because on the one hand, you wouldn't be surprised if we ended the window having signed no one. But also at the same time, you have a feeling that we could pull something out of the hat from nowhere because everything seems to be changing on a daily basis at the moment. You know, Luis Diaz wasn't even someone who was on our radar until yesterday. Now, all of a sudden, that's looking more likely than Traore, which has seemed like a done deal. Amrabat came out of nowhere. So, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe there'll be another doomed deadline day bid for Dybala. Um, I, w- I wouldn't put it past them at this stage. So, yeah, um, I guess TBC. I feel like I have to come back to you once the deadline is done and see what's happened to say uh, whether I think we've actually done what we needed to. But yeah, it seems uh, even by Spurs standards, this window seems strangely both subdued and chaotic at the same time. But, and it's a big but, don't you think this window should have been planned a long time ago? Ideally, yeah, if we were... uh, (laughs) a well-run club and knew what they were doing. But I think part of the problem was Conte came in, obviously. And I think I read somewhere that, and again, I don't know how true this is, but that the club wanted to have a meeting with him about January transfer targets earlier than he was ready for. He wanted to have more time to kind of evaluate the squad. I think he came in in what? I mean, it was November, wasn't it, when he came in? So I guess he really had only had a bit about two months or so before the window to really get a look at the team. And so I guess maybe that delayed things. And I guess. I mean, people say the January window is always tricky and harder to do business in than the summer. And actually, if you look at it, most clubs, I'd say with the exception of Newcastle, and we all know why they're able to maybe get things done earlier. And I guess with the exception of Aston Villa, maybe, most clubs haven't really made a lot of big moves yet. It does seem like a lot of deals are going down to the wire and people are being a bit opportunistic. Um, But I'd be lying if I said I wasn't looking at Aston Villa enviously more in not necessarily in who they brought in, but just how quickly the, the business gets done. Like it seems like with other clubs, they go from being linked to a player to that player then holding their shirt within 48 hours. Whereas with Spurs, it's always a saga. It always drags out. It goes from this is happening to, oh, it's edging closer to, oh, they're in final negotiations to, oh, it's fallen through to, oh, it's back on to, you know, and it's like it, it goes all the way through the window as other clubs just seem to get things done with minimal fuss. And I kind of wish we would be maybe that quick and that decisive. I don't know whether part of it's indecisiveness. I've seen people saying that Fabio um, Paratici or Palatici, I've been watching All or Nothing Juventus. It's um, all about the, the Italian pronunciations now. I've watched it to learn more about him. And it seems like, and I've read that he's somebody who kind of has multiple targets lined up at once and then will kind of decide late kind of which one to go for. And Maybe in some cases that's a good thing to do, but I also wonder how conducive that is to kind of good planning. You know, you're not wasting a lot of time there. Does that not suggest you don't really know who you want? Um, I think at the end of the day, all Spurs fans just want to bring in whichever players Conte wants um, and not just cheaper alternatives to players who he wants. 
And I think the fear is that maybe that's what we'll end up doing, as we've done with all previous managers, and it will end exactly the same way. I think if whoever we bring in is who Conte wants and is who he's identified, then fine, even if it's someone we've never heard of or someone we might not have thought about. But I think if we're kind of throwing players at Conte because Paratici's seen a good deal or because they're cheaper than the player who he does really want, then I think we're just kind of repeating the same mistakes. Yeah. I mean, I don't trust the Paratici guy for a minute because whoever goes on to the touchline and kind of sits like he's part of the squad, making it all about him when he's just a club executive, says a lot about character for me. And I I just feel like a lot of smoke, no fire. And, um, you know, from what I've seen, he hasn't, again, it's it's all about moving the needle. I haven't seen anything. Brian Gill was your your world-class signing and he hasn't done anything. He's going to go on loan probably. I don't get it. Listen, it's, we'll see in five days if you turn to me and say, look, we've got X, Y and Z and these are our targets and they're going to move the needle and they're going to, um, they're going to take some top four, then great. But I personally can't see it. And I guess this, this swiftly moves us on to shifting expectations now. Now that we both can't talk about winning the League Cup um, and we've had a little bit of flip in form um, in the league, is it now still top four in a trophy? Is, is Spurs everything? Or um, are you not even bothered about the trophy? Is it, is it fourth place all the way? Um, or even third place, looking at, looking at Chelsea? Well, yeah, I think I saw, I saw like a, people did a kind of what the table would look like if all teams won their games in hand, won all their games in hand, and Tottenham would be third. But I can tell you for now, for definite, that's not happening. Um, I think obviously Spurs fans want a trophy. They want the FA Cup. It's terrible that it's been 30 plus years however long it's been since we've won an FA Cup um, but I'm sure for the club that the priority is top four because being in the Champions League would be a huge draw for signing players in the summer if we can offer players Champions League football and the chance to play for Antonio Conte the training to the stadium all the rest of it all of a sudden that becomes a much more compelling package um, and I think top four will be the priority obviously I want us to do both but I'm sure internally the club would would rather qualify for the Champions League and I think it's in our hands, top four. So we'll have no one but ourselves to blame if we don't get it. You know, I've been trying to put a lot of pressure on you and Arsenal saying, oh, you've got no excuse. It's all in your hands. But as I've just said with the games in hand, you know, we've got, what, two games in hand against Burnley and Brighton. And we've got United, um, West Ham and Arsenal all to play. So those two games in hand and those three against our nearest top four rivals, those five matches will determine whether or not we finish top four. So it's not like it's out of our hands. It's in our hands if we... Uh, are good enough to grab it and take the opportunity. Um, and I think that's got to be what we aim for between now and the end of the season, because I think ultimately, I mean, you know, I guess it, I guess it depends where we, you know, if we win the FA Cup and finish fifth and just miss, miss out on top four, then maybe that's kind of like enough of a positive momentum to carry into the summer. But I do think probably, like I said, for signings, it is more important to finish top four. And, and it's there. I mean, you know, the cup competitions, it's kind of the luck of the draw to a certain extent. A lot of the time, you know, you can be like Arsenal and, and get Hull and Aston Villa in finals. Or you can be like us, where we, where we always seem to play Chelsea and Man City in finals. Um, but in a league, over the course of 38 games, like they I mean, sometimes the table lies, but more often than not, you finish where you end, where you deserve. And we have that chance. You know, United's late winner against West Ham, that could be crucial, but you still feel like they're a bit inconsistent. Same with Arsenal and same with West Ham. And, and they've got obviously those European commitments. So 
I think is wide open and I think it's there for the taking. And so I think every club, I suppose those four I mentioned, are ourselves, West Ham and, and Man United, all have to think that it's within reach and it's um, achievable. And if, if one of them can get in there, it could you know, shape the next couple of seasons, depending on what decisions they then make in the summer. So, yeah, top four and trophy is the aim. For, fan, for fans, I think the trophy is more important. For the club, I think top four is more important. And I think it has to be the aim. Whether or not we can actually do it, I don't know. Maybe it will depend on if we make any signings that move the needle. But maybe it'll all come down to those matches and to uh, games like that, the, the rearranged North London derby to, to bring us full circle. You what, whether... I suppose for Arsenal, I guess top four is all you've got to aim for. But I suppose, what, how do you see that top four race shaping out and how much of a chance do you think you guys have? Well, I'm going to spin something here and say, if you're in the FA Cup and you lose an FA Cup game, would that have a ripple ripple effect now on your on your league form? The, the kind of misery of realising you're trophyless once again, but maybe that's clutching at straws. Um, yeah, we only have one choice now, and that's to go for it. I don't think it'll be disaster if we finish in the Europa League positions. Um, that's a bit of um, self-protection there. But it's got to be top four based on the circumstances, based on the fixture list, based on, please God, everyone is fit and we sign players. And yeah, based on the fact that we have no other games and week between games to recover and train and focus. Um, it's top four or bust. It, it's as simple as that. It's top four bust, and you can see all or nothing. It's going to kind of rely on that for it to be not quite all, but certainly not nothing. I keep forgetting that Arsenal have a an all or nothing show. But I wonder Being whether it's all, it's all focused. That, that's why um, we're waiting till deadline day to make transfers. We're exiling um, Aubameyang. We're going on a three-week holiday to Dubai now. We're doing a Spurs. We're taking a mid-season break. And, um, yeah, I do wonder whether sometimes some of these decisions that have been made, I mean, you have all these red cards and these postponements and Shaka's, um, you know, Shaka being ostracised and Bamiyan being stripped of the captaincy and our, you know, our good form, bad form, Spurs win, City lost. It's going to be interesting. I think it'll be... Uh, I think it will be one to savour and um, hopefully one I want to watch more than once. And that will depend on on how well we do. But whatever we do, I hope we don't have a, a Spurs type barbecue celebrating a terrible season. Well, it sounds like, I mean, you just said you'd be happy with Europa League. That's a qualification. That's what Spurs are celebrating at the end of theirs. Maybe it'll be the same for Arsenal's. Maybe. But you have to say in Arteta, we believe. 